going to get your attention for 25 quick minutes. Um, please continue to eat. Um, but I just, uh, after we set up uh, the presentations and the sessions of, over, the, over the past few months, uh, and we thought we had it all nailed down, we realized that we didn't have a representation from uh, U.S. companies that are uh, operating in, in Europe, uh, European companies operating in the United States, and you know, the most business that is done transatlantically is done through these, these channels, these MNC uh, channels. And uh, it's an important thing for people to understand. Uh, foreign direct investment and trade are very highly related. And I wanted you all to hear some of the concerns uh, and some of the issues that are facing uh, European, U.S. affiliates of European headquarter company, companies here in the U.S. and U.S. affiliates of European, I'm sorry, European affiliates of U.S. companies in, in Europe. So we have uh, two uh, experts on that, uh, respective uh, presidents of their organizations representing these kinds of companies. We have uh, uh, Nancy McLernan from the Organization for International Investment representing I'm going to ask you to d describe that a little bit. This is uh, Susan Danger from the uh, AmCham EU. Is it called EU? AmCham EU? It is indeed. Okay. Yep. The AmCham EU in Brussels. Uh, so it'll be interesting because uh, a British-born person living in Brussels representing American companies, uh, an American-born uh, person here in Washington representing European companies, and we're going to hear uh, what, what their perspectives are. But but maybe I can ask you each, I'll start with you, Nancy, to just maybe just describe the, the mission of your organization and, and, and what uh, concerns they have about the transatlantic relationship at the moment. Yeah. Thank you, Dan. Uh, thrilled to be here this afternoon and really pleased to be on the panel with Susan. We met uh, over the summer and we're really one another's doppelganger because I know more about foreign companies in the U.S. than I do about U.S. companies. And she knows more about U.S. companies in Europe than she does about European companies. So it was uh, an interesting, uh, interesting meeting. So the Organization for International Investment uh, started in 1990. And today we have about 170 companies that are part of our membership. They are all the U.S. subsidiaries of foreign-owned companies, the majority of them European, because the majority of foreign investment in the U.S. comes from Europe. So our total stock of foreign direct investment in the U.S. is $2.6 trillion. 70% of that comes from European investment. Um, and so obviously we are a huge destination for foreign direct investment from Europe. The purpose of our organization is to educate policymakers and the public on the role that foreign companies play in the United States and then work to make the U.S. advocate uh, at the state level and the federal level on those issues that would make the U.S. the most competitive location around the world for cross-border investment um, and the jobs that they support. Um, and we've been doing so uh, for 26 years. And uh, it's been really fascinating to watch the dynamics of these companies change over the years. And while the U.S. is still the, one of the most top locations for cross-border investment, we've actually really <coughs> lost our share of global investment. In 2000, the U.S. attracted about 37% of all cross-border investment. And in 2013, the last year for which available, we attracted only about 19%. And Europe, on the other hand, has stayed pretty, uh, pretty constant in terms of attracting global FDI, uh, still around 30-some percent. So the U.S. definitely has some work to do um, uh, 
reaching a successful conclusion of TTIP and enacting it um, uh, with the Senate ratification would, in fact, make the U.S. much more competitive for foreign direct investment here. Susan, do you want to give us a little background? Yes, indeed. Thanks very much. Thanks again for the invite to be here. And I'm delighted to be, uh, as you can hear, the, the, the British person representing U.S. companies in Europe. And maybe just to, it's true, it's a bit like um, uh, just bouncing off Nancy and, and hearing what she said. It's almost the exact opposite. So just so you know who AmCham EU is, um, it's the American Chamber of Commerce to the EU. In fact, we've been around for 50 years. We were founded in 1962, so have been representing what we say are U.S. companies committed to and invested in Europe for that length of time. In fact, um, many of our member companies, it's almost the same number, we have a, currently 164 companies who are members. We only represent companies of U.S. parentage, although we have a small number who we call international, who have significant U.S. business interests. But some of those companies have been around in Europe for up to 100 years. You know, you talk about IBM and GE and so forth. So we're very much European. In fact, we used to say we were, we, we represented European companies of American parentage. I think that's very important in the context of what yeah. we're talking about here. Maybe also, I mean, Nancy, you mentioned some figures, but the aggregate investment from U.S. companies in Europe at the moment is $2 trillion. So pretty much the same on, on either side. Commercial sales annually are about $5 trillion. Um, so it's huge. Um, and in terms of jobs, and I think that's what both of us uh, feel very strongly about in terms of AmCham EU is jobs. Currently, U.S. investment in Europe supports about 5.3 million job, direct jobs. And the whole transatlantic relationship supports about 15 million jobs, indirect jobs on either side of the Atlantic. So it's huge. So to your, uh, to, to your point about why this is so important for us, this, the transatlantic economy is, is, is too big, too big to lose. It has to be invested in. Maybe I just want to add one more point about why, um, what AMCHEM EU is all about. I, I don't know if um, Marjorie's not still in the room, Marjorie Chorlins, but maybe just to, to clarify also, because it's a question that I'm asked all the time, uh, are we part of the US Chamber or not? We are affiliated to the US Chamber, we pay a membership fee, but we are completely independent of the US Chamber. There's actually a network of 40, for 45 AMCHAMs in 43 countries, so Europe and wider Europe, um, all of those are completely independent of the U.S. Chamber. But I think it's important to note in, in that context and also in the context of who we're representing as well. Um, and I'll maybe have an opportunity to talk about that later, about how important the member states are in, with regard to TTIP and the role they play. But just in terms of, therefore, um, you know, the relationship, yes, I would say why we're so involved in the transatlantic economy relationship in, in general is jobs and growth. The, the, the crisis of eight years ago now, Yes, we're pulling out of it, we believe, you know, slowly, but we're getting there. So really feeling that this is absolutely um, key to that. But we're coming to that, yeah. Are, are you able to sort of distill a, a common front, a common set of policies with regard to TTIP from your members? Or is there, are there lots of clashing views about what, what issues should be prioritized? Um, no, I would, I would say not. Basically, overall, and I think that's come out definitely this morning in terms of overall, we're behind TTIP tariffs for a start. Tariffs is the one thing that we see as a, a relatively small, but um, if they're cut, it can make a huge difference. So we're all in agreement on that. Then you get to the regulatory piece. I think for us, uh, you know, all our companies, all our members are completely uh, behind the same messaging that 
80% of the benefit of TTIP is based around, about regulatory, on regulatory barriers, so the non-tariff barriers. Now, where it comes to, uh, you know, you could say there, there, are, there are going to be some sticky issues, but no, we're, we're agreement. Our, all our members are behind TTIP. I would say, just in very practical terms, there are some companies that are more involved than others. I'd be interested to hear from, from Nancy whether that's the case here. You've got some companies who are very active. You know, if I can name a few, you've got you know, a company like UPS, uh, completely uh, dedicated to this, organizing road shows around the UK. Um, uh, other companies as well, really getting it down into the storylines. I know that came up this morning. You know, where are the examples? Where are the stories about why TTIP can help? There are some companies out there who are really dedicated to that. There are some others who are maybe sitting on the sidelines a little bit more at the moment, but then they look to organizations like ours to do, to, to do the work, and they're supportive of that. And the same sort of question for you. Is there a, a distilled common policy among your membership? Well, I think for us, the biggest priority is completion. Right, so completion and, and of course, uh, successful uh, ratification in Congress. And there are a lot of questions right now around that. So a trade agreement uh, overall, but certainly one of this magnitude, is important for foreign investment, I think for three different reasons. And we actually did a study we released earlier this spring looking at, for the very first time, uh, trying to quantify what would successfully negotiated TTIP, we also included TPP, mean for foreign direct investment in the United States. And so three reasons um, that a trade agreement is important for an investment. Obviously, the investment chapters themselves. Those create uh, you know, market access uh, uh, issues and so forth. Uh, number two, tariff and non-tariff barriers, uh, removal of harmonization of regulations, like Susan talked about. Uh, the tariffs, even though they're low, it's a huge amount. So it could obviously have an extremely large impact. The harmonization of regulations is, yeah, I think that we certainly agree, uh, a very critical, uh, important issue, and one um, that is probably a little harder to quantify, but one that can't be understated. And then number three, the economic activity um, that, that gets uh, activated because number one and number two make the U.S. that much more appealing for more foreign direct investment. So, the study that we did, which was done by economists at Ernst & Young, showed that a successfully negotiated TTIP would bring in another one point, uh, $153 billion in new foreign direct investment from TTIP countries, and 37% of the jobs created would be in manufacturing, since so much foreign investment in the U.S. is in manufacturing, and, uh, and create another 1.2 million new jobs. And of that 1.2 million new jobs, about 865,000 would be at domestic companies. Because about 80 cents of every dollar that a foreign company spends in the US on inputs comes from domestic sources. Hmm. And so um, for all those different reasons, you know, the completion of it um, and you know, getting it over the finish line overall is something that we're focused on rather than the, the, the uh, minutia here and there. So the, the uh, concerns about the diminution of, of uh, investment in the United States, 37% to 17% over the year, some of that is because the rest of the world is coming online, although you, you pointed out that Susan's, um, in, in Europe, it, it's stayed fairly steady. I've always attributed to growth abroad and bad policies, adopting bad policies here. Um, but the, the, among the policies in the U.S. that TTIP could get at, 
to reform, um, uh, buy American, for example, things like that. What, what, what kinds of issues are, are on your agenda? What, what, do you, what would facilitate uh, insourcing uh, yeah. more in the United States? Yeah. So, um, you know, overall, I think that the, uh, the Buy America provisions, the government contracting, we did a, a survey of CFOs at U.S. subsidiaries of foreign companies, uh, about 100 CFOs, and we asked them about um, possible discrimination in government contracting. And a quarter of them say that they face continued uh, discrimination in government contracting. Um, I think that overall, the environment right now on um, foreign investment, globalization, even if uh, TTIP doesn't specifically address some uh, of the, uh, the environment, the environment will get better because of it um, and more, uh, more open. Because if anyone's listened to the presidential uh, campaigns that have gone on, we have a lot of uh, anti-global uh, rhetoric that's happening right now. And moving forward on TTIP as well as TPP, would hopefully push us in the opposite direction. But government contracting uh, is an area of discrimination um, that uh, our companies sometimes, because of law or just because of practice, uh, fall within. Makes sense. And um, in Europe, the, 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 Gary referenced it this morning, the, um, the European court decision to, to shoot down the uh, safe harbor provisions. Is that something that your membership is concerned about, data privacy, data flows? and? Balkanization, if I can use that word, among, liberty, yes, among that, Europeans. <clears throat> yeah, that was an extremely hot topic um, last week, as you can imagine, which um, indeed sort of dominated discussions amongst our membership. I think importantly to point out, it's something that affects every single company. You know, there's, a, there's a feeling that this is just, this is just about digital companies, uh, those in the IT sector, it's not, it's about every single company, which is what AmChamiU is all about. Um, we're multi-sectoral. Yes, it is. <clears throat> I don't think I've seen as much press uh, ever in my life on, on one particular issue. Um, I think it's, it's something we're concerned about. Basically, for business, it's about having certainty. Uh, and at the moment, it's, going to cre it's creating an environment of uncertainty, and that's something that we're pushing back on, saying, right, okay, it's um, you know government-to-government -government issue here. Get together uh, and come up with an alternative solution. Uh, it's at the moment we're in a little bit of an un unknown situation. So, yes, mm -hmm. it'll, it'll be top of mind for a, for a number of weeks and longer. And, and TTIP itself, uh, in terms of the priorities of your membership, I mean, is, is it number one, number two, number three? Is it... Uh, is, is tax policy as big an issue there as it is here? Um, uh, as a, very good question. Uh, always a hard one to, to answer when you're in a multi-sectoral association and you're trying yeah. to keep everybody happy. Right. Um, I would say just, you know, we've got 14 committees, but TTIP, uh, 14 plus 3, and TTIP is one of those. So just to put it in perspective, we're not an organization that can work full-time on TTIP, which creates, I think, in light of the discussions this morning, some challenges in terms of how many resources you can put into the work that's required. I would say, however, it's like number one, uh, in terms of what we call horizontal issues, uh, because it, 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 it affects every single company there. Others, though, um, coming up would indeed be sort of bigger issues. Uh, you know, the t tax is there in the background. Digital is in the, digital also would, uh, would come up at the top. And also uh, next year, just going generally into the, the UK referendum and the impact that may have. So there's mm. some general horizontal ones out there, but TTIP is overarching. Are there, any, are there any specific policies or areas where U.S. companies complain about discrimination, where they feel that the European companies are on a different playing field? Is there 
I'm just trying to get yeah. it. You know, what, what, what are the, what's the reform agenda? What, what is U.S. business really pushing for uh, in Europe? What are the big obstacles to its success? Not that it's not succeeding, but to, to greater success. I would actually go back to the, my original comment about what Am Chamiyu is. is. The, the, we're representing companies who have been in Europe for 100 years. So our priorities, mm. fundamentally, are not very different to those of European companies. Um, we work very closely with uh, an organization called Business Europe, which is the, re the organization representing European companies, uh, employers. Um, we very often form alliances with them. So I wouldn't say that it's mm. something, you know, there are policies out there that US companies are pushing for that European companies aren't. Our fundamental aim is the competitiveness of Europe. Um, and making Europe the most competitive place for companies, whether they be uh, US, whether they be European, for, to, to create jobs and growth for everybody. And I think this is very key in the transatlantic relationship. It's very important that both sides are strong. Um, we need both sides to be strong. So it's not a, it's just not a game on, uh, on, on the one side. I don't know if that's the, quite the answer you wanted, but... Um, Indiana, uh, I don't think it's about discrimination as much as it's about new opportunities to, to, to grow and to, uh, to take a relationship that's already very strong and make it stronger. You know, right now, US, uh, US subs produce here about 20% of US exports. Over half of that goes back to the parent companies, right? So the, the relationship between the subsidiaries and the parent companies um, are extremely important. Sure. And the harmonization of regulations like if you think about the pharmaceutical sector or even, you know, talking to one of our companies is a British engineering firm and the certification for certain safety things are different in the U.S. than they are in Europe and the amount of time and energy that that all um, generates um, could be made so much more efficient. So it's not only about stopping discrimination that happens, it's about opening up new opportunities but, but why don't they already exist? I mean, you're opening up opportunities because you have to surmount some sort of... You have to surmount just, just go government regulations yeah. that have happened in two different regions, yeah. right? And one is not necessarily better than the other. They're just different. And, you know, recognizing the, uh, the fact that a, a single set of regulations or accepting one another's certifications is good and is, uh, is adequate and, and does not at all reduce um, you know, any sort of uh, you know, problem areas. And have you guys been able to identify, is, it, is TTIP number one, two, three on your memberships list? So tax is usually always number one. Uh, tax policy in the U.S. is already discriminatory against foreign investment here. Yes, very much. Um, and it's also, uh, it's difficult sometimes to, to understand the issues uh, in the tax sphere for foreign companies because when policymakers think about taxing and multinational companies, they think about our worldwide tax system. And while our companies care about that a bit, they really are focused on lowering the statutory rate and making uh, the environment sort of uh, a level playing field. Um, the CFO survey I mentioned earlier, four in 10 CFOs say that they have, have uh, uh, been harmed by discriminatory tax provisions. I, I will note something that um, may be a little bit beyond the, the scope of TTIP, but the U.S. is one of the only places that doesn't bind its subfederal um, systems to uh, trade agreement and tax treaties. 
And at the state level, uh, our companies fight a plethora of Buy America provisions, tax treaties, audit um, provisions, and so forth that uh, are quite very discriminatory because there, there is a sense at the state level uh, you know, on sovereignty. And so what the US uh, signs onto in the international area sometimes doesn't uh, resonate at the state level. Excellent. Um, does anybody have any questions from the audience? Yeah, right, right here. Doug, come to you next. Um, I, I don't know if there's a mic, so I, maybe just. Yeah, so we have some banks in our membership, uh, definitely, um, and many of uh, the subs that are here in the U.S. are looking to um, have clients here um, from the parent co companies that they have clients overseas. So there is a lot of cross-pollinization of that, and I think the banking sector, the insurance sector, uh, all are, and again, as, as Susan has indicated, because we represent a multitude of industry. You know, I represent Bombardier and Nestle, Right, so it's it's and and uh, Credit Suisse is a member, and so it's a, a variety of different industries. So we don't get involved in some of the very uh, specific industry-related issues, but certainly the financial sector overall um, is uh, very supportive of uh, of TTIP and and TPP as well, because again, more international economic uh, activity can be good for their business. Um, the industry-based associations would be more involved in some of the specifics. Fran. Um, Fran Burwell from the Atlantic Council. Susan, I wish, uh, as you well know, there were 150,000 people or thereabouts protesting in Berlin. Yes. Um, and I wish you would give us a flavor of the debate in Europe and what is AmCham EU or Business Europe or the business associations or the businesses themselves doing to create, shall we say, a more accommodating climate? Is this something where, the, as you know, businesses yeah. here have gone out through the U.S. Chamber and other organizations, uh, but it seems almost the reverse when I visit Europe, that the businesses are quite quiet. Okay. Uh, and then uh, for you, I would love to know why you think, or what you think is the reason behind the decline in investment in the U.S. Um, is it Okay. No, I think it's a it's a really good question and something I'm I'm glad I was asked about because I think it's important sitting here in this forum for 
uh, for participants to get a sense of what that it's different in Europe, um, and that you know maybe more so than to a certain extent on Titavadam Chamiyu, and getting into sort of the technical details of what we want in it at the moment. More important is actually how do we address the communications challenge, and I don't think I've heard that word come up uh, yet today, possibly in the room. And communications is actually absolutely key, and that's where we're putting our, our focus. So maybe. Yeah, so that everyone gets a sense. There, there were apparently, I don't know what the report said, they said 250,000, police said 150,000. Either way, it's a lot of people to be pro protesting. Um, and there are days planned all this week. It's actually anti-TTIP week from the 10th to the, to the rest of this week. So there are, uh, there'll be demonstrations in many other cities all around Europe. But that, um, you know, the, so there's some different issues here. One, with Amcham EU, Two years ago, we knew there was an alliance that was set up here in uh, Washington by the US Chamber, the BCTT. Um, we did try to get one set up in Europe with Business Europe. Um, it has been a, a struggle. I think it's interesting from the point, and we get on, we have a great relationship with Business Europe. European business, I think it's true to say, and my members would certainly say this, have been slower to come forward. Even now, there is a certain amount of criticism, among, criticism from our US members about the willingness of, of European companies to come forward. However, an alliance, alliance does now exist, I would say, pretty much uh, driven by AmChemiU at the beginning, but now there are two or three of us that drive it more than others. And that, importantly, I think, in Europe includes not only big business, but small business as well. That, again, I think I would like to stress, perhaps hasn't come up yet today, about the importance of SMEs and about the benefits of TTIP to SMEs, which is considerable uh, and really should be, if we are doing a communications campaign, should be stressed even more. Um, AmChemie doesn't represent SMEs, unfortunately, but what we do try to get is you know, the, the, the message across from all our companies, the supply chain that they have is SMEs only. So um, in that alliance, we've got SMEs, we've got Europeans, we've got Eurochamp, we have uh, the US Chamber there, we have UATME, everyone working together. Three of those have put together a campaign. These things cost money. Again, another issue here. We're talking about how can we make TTIP successful. These things cost money. And NGO, well, Nonprofits like ourselves don't have necessarily a huge amount of money, but we have now um, a social media campaign going on. I think that also ties in, I feel quite passionate about this, the whole social media piece, again, should be mentioned. You know, this is a different situation to maybe any other uh, trade agreement before or others. Social media is huge. It's very big in, in Europe. You know, how do you, how do you compete with uh, NGOs where possibly you don't even know where the funding's coming from. They have huge amounts of funding. Um, how do you compete with that with a, with a yes campaign? Um, it's, it's a huge challenge. I don't know if that's answered your question. It's given you a bit of a feel of what we're doing. Um, and that is, as an as American Business Association, in fact, is where we're putting our efforts on the communications rather than the technical details right. at the moment. Thank, thank you for that. On, on the investment determinants, that'll, that'll be the last word because we're going to be going to have to go back to the next. Uh, so I just want to take a crack real quick at at the question that you gave Susan because um, it's about my company's parent companies, right? And so I was in Europe um, uh, at late summer and talked with some of our, our companies, talked with Business Europe, and what I got from them is. Trade agreements have historically not been controversial in Europe. So they were not really geared up. I mean, in the US, it's always been sort of politicized. We know a fight's coming. And American companies can be very aggressive overall. And I say that in an extremely 
you know, complimentary way, uh, being an American, right? But uh, European companies, um, from what I've been told, were very surprised at the, at the strong amount of opposition that has mounted against TTIP. Initially, it was really seen as something that was that the, the European economies needed, a shot in the arm after the Great Recession, et cetera. Um, and they were sort of caught off guard with the amount of opposition. And that's why that they were slower to start. But as Susan said, uh, I think, you know, trying to, trying to get on top of things now. Quickly on uh, the U.S. Uh, losing um, global, the share of global investment. So number one, I think um, other countries had stepped up their efforts to recruit foreign direct investment. And it was becoming harder and harder for an individual state, you know, for Ohio to compete against Singapore, right? Because when you have the federal government going out and saying, here's a one-stop shop, uh, our whole sub-federal system that is competing with one another for investment can be very complex. Um, uh, number two, uh, I think some of our policies, as Dan said, definitely can be a deterrent. Our tax policy over the last um, decade, um, you've gone from an OECD average of 36% to now 25%, and the U.S. is at still at 35%. So I would say that was also uh, a, de a determinator as well. And as well as our lack of trade agenda. Right? You know, I've hear, heard companies say they wanted to invest in Mexico because they can use that as an export platform because Mexico has so many more trade agreements. So, you know, I think that there's, um, there are a variety of reasons um, there why the U.S. has sort of uh, lost its edge. The other thing is, is that the U.S. keeps going after our current customers. They keep going after uh, TTIP and TPP countries and where we already get 90% of all of our FDI and we're losing a lot from developing countries where other countries have been more aggressive going there. Thank you, ladies, very much. I appreciate that.